Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today for a Q&A session is Mr. Tim Perkins. Hasler, how are you this morning? Not too bad, Perko. Yourself? Oh, we're very informal today. Yeah. Going the nicknames. <laughs> and the nickname? What, Hasler? No, that's my surname. That's it's not really surname. a nickname. That, no, is a lazy, that is a lazy nickname. Yeah, but I said it with two Zs. Oh, okay, fair I, enough. It was very much... Yeah. Hasler. Okay, cool. All right, we'll go with that. Um, so, as I mentioned there, it's <laughs> a strong, start. strong as, start. As I mentioned there, we're doing a Q&A episode this week, and um, I put out on my Instagram um, story for um, any potential questions, and we got a few, and if you uh, are on Insta, I could use a few more followers, so you can find me at, at Dan Hasler. Um, Tim is, um, well, he's not much for the socials, are you, mate? You're very serious, you just keep it to LinkedIn. That's right, that's me, fully serious. I'm not young and hip like you, Dan. No, indeed. Insta. 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 What's handle, man? What's your hand? <laughs> so, and um, you seem fairly desperate for friends, Dan. You know, yeah, call out to our listeners. Yep. Join me on Insta, please, please, please. It's oh, lonely. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you have got our first question. I do indeed, Dan. We've got a question here from Ben, who says, "I know there are different types of leaders, but how do you know which one you are?" It's a good one. Um, I mean, there are obviously lots of different types of leaders. There's lots of uh, leadership theories and frameworks out there, and um, some of which I spent a bit of time looking at, actually, as I was working on on the book over um, the Christmas period there. And it's, you know, it's one thing to kind of be aware of some of those, um, you know, leadership styles or leadership traits or, or whatever. And then it's another one to answer probably, which is Ben's question, well, how do I know which one I am? And to my mind, at least, it's a little bit hard to answer that question because you don't know what it's like to be led by you. You know, you, you certainly um, might have in your mind how you would like to be perceived and perhaps your intentions and the things you're trying to do um, as a leader. But I think unless you um, are interested in finding out what other people think of your leadership, then you're always going to have kind of only half the picture. You're going to have half the ideas of, you know, how I want to show up and how I want to lead, but you're not necessarily seeing it from the flip side and how that's received by the people you lead. So, you know, it might be helpful um, to be aware of some of those um, leadership styles. Obviously, the um, the three most, I guess, commonly spoken about is the, you know, the autocratic leader, the democratic leader, and the laissez-faire leader. And again, you might have a, a sense, if you like, of um, how you're trying to show up, whether you are trying to show up as the autocratic, it's kind of my way or the highway, I'll make the decisions, or whether you are more uh, democratic in that you you seek everyone's input into creating you know decisions which are agreeable by the vast majority or laissez-faire you kind of step out of the picture completely and let let your people self-organize they, they might guide your um, 
how you intend to show up, how that actually is received, on the other hand, might might be different. You might think you're making clear decisions, but if they're not being communicated well, you know, um, you might be trying to be democratic or laissez-faire, but people might receive that as being, you know, lacking in direction or not being able, you know, not having the clarity that a leader perhaps needs. So I think it's quite interesting to um, bring people with you, like the, the, the people who are most important in this conversation are probably the people who you lead how are you showing up to them and you know we often talk about um coaching on on the podcast you know and and using a coaching approach that brings those people into the equation so okay how am I showing up and, and how would you like me to show up um how would you like me to delegate how would you like me to communicate decisions that are made and that's quite interesting for some people and people I've worked with where, you know, they've, they've not necessarily thought of it like that. You know, they kind of think of it, well, I'm here to do a job and, um, you know, it's, it's their job to do their job. Um, you can do all the self-awareness surveys you like, all the little pop psych tests on the internet that you can do to give you some idea. But until you actually go and ask the people who you lead, what kind of leader are you? I don't think you're going to get the, the, the fuller picture. Yeah. You're a musical guy, Dan, um, guitarist, and I know you were in a band. Who knows, maybe you'll be in a band again at some point. <laughs> Two of the terms that uh, I know Daniel Goleman uses are musical-related terms. Indeed, yeah? Yeah. He talks about this idea of leadership being either resonant or dissonant. Yeah. Tell us a bit about those. Yeah, nice. So um, the resonant leader is the one, again, yeah, and playing on that musical um, idea. You know, it's, it's when you know the place is humming there's a real good vibe um you know there's there's harmony um in 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 the workplace so the resonant leader is the one who's you know really interested in building relationships because they see how that's really important they take on a a coaching um approach more than a mandating approach you know so um they also a resonant leader can communicate compelling visions for the why we're doing things and they provide hope and optimism in in challenging times that's resonant leadership so they're in tune with their people to use another musical one, yeah? yeah and they work hard to stay in tune as well so they 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 if, if they see a slight disconnect between what um what they hope should be happening in the organization versus what is happening. So rather than taking on a punitive or disciplinary approach to, to solving an issue, they actually go into it with a mindset of curiosity and, and wanting to develop empathy to understand, well, why has that um, shown up and, and how might we move together in order to, um, you know, address it. The dissonant one that you mentioned there is, you know, more in tune with the autocratic, you know, the commanding, really trying to set a fast pace and hoping people keep up. So, um, it, as I said, it's hard for you to know how that plays out un- unless you ask people um, because, you know, as you um, as, as you know, you know, the way we show up isn't always the way we, we want to show up. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, we've got another question. We there. do indeed, mate, and I'm going to throw this one to you. This one's from Anna, and she asks... Um, how do you not take a bad day at work home with you? Um, that's all she asked. Um, so we can make any kind of um, assumptions here. Well, look, I'm, I'm not qualified to answer this, Dan, because, you know, I work with Dan Hasler and there's no such thing as a bad day at work. It's all good at oh, our absolutely. work. Um, but I've heard about other people having less than ideal days. Uh, and, of course, we all do. Um, 
And, you know, it's, it's a really great question and, you know, there's been some really interesting work from um, an Australian performance consultant, a guy named Adam Fraser, talking about this and which he refers to as the third space. So he, a line that you often use, Dan, is that, uh, you know, that some people will have heard is that idea that a bad day at work doesn't need to mean a bad night at home. Um, and Adam Fraser talks about the creation of this idea of a third space, something that fills the gap between the difficult day that you've had, whether, you know, and happens for myriad different reasons that people have a difficult day at work and, and maybe it's even a bit of a, a pattern where, you know, you as a listener might not, might be in a situation where you regularly have really challenging days at work and it's about being really deliberate about how you want to be or, you know, as a, as a lot of people say these days, how you want to show up in the new environment that you're going to. So as you make that transition from work to home, you've had your work persona, you've had your situation at work, um, which in this case is a challenging, difficult, bad day at work. What do you do with that to ensure that that doesn't transition with you, that it doesn't, it's not part of what you're wearing back into the house with whoever it is that you, you happen to be uh, sharing your life with? Um, and so he, he's come up with, with quite a, a simple um, sort of process um, in this third space where he, he suggests that we do three different things, you know, um, and these are simply reflect, rest and reset. So creating a space where you think about the, what you've, what's happened for you during the day and you allow yourself that process. And often for people, the third space is actually the trip home from work. And so some, for some of us, that's on public transport. For some of us, it's a car ride. For some of us, it's a walk, whatever it is. But really reflecting on what's happened for you throughout the day so that you can process that and deal with that in an appropriate way so that you don't necessarily need to take that home with you. It's not to say that our work life and our personal life need to be completely working in isolation from each other. But just saying, to what extent is it serving you to take the difficulties of a bad day home with you. And if it's not serving you, if you've decided that ranting and raving about it to the people that you live with, allowing your mood to carry over in that you're agitated, upset, irritated, whatever it is, do the people you live with need to deal with that agitation and upset and distress that you've had from work um, in your personal life? So he suggests this idea that Literally, you know, in, in some circumstances, and I know this is actually one that you do, Dan, that even, you know, in the casual way that we dress when we're at the office here together, that you actually go home and you change out of the T-shirt and shorts that you wear to the office <laughs> into a new T-shirt and shorts yep. so that you are no longer at work, so that when you go home to your kids, you are, you've decided. Um, that idea of um, creating a, a, a situation. So for a lot of people, you know, when Adam Fraser talks about this work, he often talks about people who have pets and particularly dogs, taking that dog for a walk, for example, going for a jog, going to the gym, changing your clothes, having a shower, whatever it is that you need to transition from that work situation to then show up as the best person that you want to be. So that reset process so that then um, a bad Day at work doesn't need to translate to a bad bad mm. night at home. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, recognising that we do have a choice about this mm. and, you know, the question, we actually had this question um, at a, a live, get that, a live um, 
seminar the last week in fact where somebody asked a very very similar question and it's the question I then share back is saying okay well you know what kind of parent do you want to walk in the house as you know who 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 do your kids need right now and yeah you might have had a heck of a day but what's how do you want to show up as a parent or as a partner or whoever you know whatever your role is within that and and a lot of people and this sounds silly to say out loud I think but a lot of people don't realize they have that choice um, it's just the the maelstrom of the day and the mindless nature of just responding and that's not a criticism but just we have to respond we don't have time to think about these things we're just putting out fires you know literally and metaphorically sometimes and and some people have kind of seed control over how they show up they just they, they carry the weight with them without recognizing that there's an opportunity to perhaps put some of it down leave some of it behind yeah i'm not saying you're going to absolve yourself of those responsibilities at work or whatever but what we are suggesting is that perhaps even if it's just for an hour two hours or whatever it might be you kind of relinquish that and choose to walk in the parent or the partner that you want to be um and yeah you know whether that is a a literal space or a literal thing or whether it's just sitting in the car just for 30 seconds more you know, and deciding, okay, I'm choosing to leave this here and I'm going to walk in and I'm going to go and sit with my kids and I'm going to hear about their day or I'm going to, you know, make the dinner with my partner and really hear about what they've been up to and, and be present and really mindful and deliberate about doing that because in the cold light of day, that's probably who you want to be. You probably don't want to be the person who walks in and either um, explodes over something really minor or just brings other people's day down yeah. because because of your, your mood. Yeah, it's interesting. Fraser actually says how you transition home determines whether um, you unwind, relax and socialise or obsess and worry about the day. Mm. And one of the issues here I imagine which really complicates it is the really blurred lines between am I still at work mm. because of laptops and phones yep. or because of working at home? Yeah, for sure now, yeah. Th that sort of blurred line. Yeah. And so, as you say, Dan, taking that choice, realising you're having that choice and really being deliberate, mm. saying, okay, I'm setting that aside now, I'm choosing deliberately. And, and as you said there, sometimes it's just finding yourself about to walk in the door, whether that's sitting an extra few minutes in the car or sitting out on the front fence before you go in, or just taking a breath before you open the door and saying, okay, who do I want to be now? Let's start afresh. And and, and having a, a ritual or a habit. So mm. it does cause, I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, it causes much hilarity in my house that, you know, I am a fairly casual dresser to start with. So for me to get into even more comfy shorts, um, you know, my kids think it's hilarious, but it is it is part and parcel of my ritual at the end of the day because then, then I'm done, we're done, you know, I'm home. Yeah. Um, and um, it's just a little mental trick or a little cue for me to say right, i'm out of i'm out of my smart shorts <laughs> into my slightly <laughs> less into smart indeed, shorts indeed. Oh, that's right what's this podcast called again <laughs> habits habits of leadership that's right go. all right develop a new habit of returning home and making sure that a bad day at work doesn't need to lead to a bad night at home dan another question here for you from a fellow named billy um this is right down your alley mr hasler how do you encourage a growth mindset for people 
who couldn't be more fixed in yeah. their mindset. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting um, question. Um, you know, they couldn't be more fixed. Um, and I guess, you know, for the for those that are, are tuning in, most of you, I'm sure, would be aware of the, the theory of fixed and growth mindsets. But, but for those who, who might be new or not necessarily across um, that work, in, in, in short, that the fixed mindset is one in which you believe your talents, characteristics, traits, perhaps even situations, they are just that, they're fixed. And no amount of time, effort or energy will do much to, to change that. The growth mindset, on the other hand, recognises that things, whether they're talents, traits, characteristics, situations, relationships, with, with time and effort, things can improve, things can develop. And we often talk about this idea of learning, growing and developing. It doesn't necessarily mean that things will always get better in, the, in the, that sense of, you know, um, improvement. Um, particularly around you know things that are measured or so for example you know athletes can't always get quicker they can't always get stronger um, but I guarantee they can learn grow and develop every day mm-hmm. about what it means now that you can't get any quicker now that you can't get any stronger now that you're moving towards retirement whatever and so um, this idea of encouraging people who couldn't be more fixed it's it's a really interesting one because so often um, we think of someone's mindset as being their issue. You know, they need to sort that out. And to, to a degree, you know, obviously they need to have some sense of volition and agency in order to do that. But what I've really come to realize in the past couple of years, specifically working in different um, settings, is it's, it is the setting. It's the setting that does so much to influence whether someone's going to show up, I keep using that phrase today, show up uh, with a fixed or, or growth mindset. And, and broadly speaking, this is the, the what I'm riffing on at the moment, is that if I walk into a situation where I feel I need to either protect myself or prove myself, I'm more likely to have a fixed mindset about things. Whereas if I walk into a setting and I'm... I feel that, you know, I need to improve myself and, you know, then I'm more likely to show up with a growth mindset. And so you think about, well, what is it that determines that feeling? You know, it's not, I don't wake up in the morning and just decide that, oh, today's the day I'm going to prove myself. Normally, it's a whole host of contributing factors, the people around me, the commentary, the narrative around whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. And so you think about, you know, is there... To what extent are people judged? To what extent are people def- talked about in really clearly defined numbers or um, outcomes or have they hit their KPIs or whatever it might be versus, well, how much growth have they made? How, how you know? And are we talking about them not just in terms of their um, outputs and their um, out, you know, their, their performance, but are we also talking about them as people and, and how are they contributing to a, the bigger whatever the bigger picture um is so you know a a lot of the time we use that word coaching a lot here you know a lot of the time a coaching approach is it's kind of like growth mindset in action because it's really about helping create a space where somebody can articulate that they either want to or need to improve something whether it's a relationship, whether it's um, performance at work, whether it's their health, 
uh, whether it's just poor habits, whatever it is, the moment they articulate that, so it's about for, you know giving them some insight, not being brutally honest or anything, you know, not having an intervention necessarily, but it's about just having those conversations and having that relationship and that space where people feel that I, I can say that to you without fear of being judged, without fear of being fired, dropped, uh, demoted. I can just say these, yeah, actually, I think I need to. Okay, great. Once you've said that, then as a coach or as someone who's just positioning themselves as a coach side by side, it's about walking and talking them through, well, what options do they have? Not what options do I think you have and these are the things you should do, but really helping them articulate things that they might try and then encouraging them to try one of those things, the one that they think they're most likely to do, and then holding them to account in a really um, supportive way by saying, hey, you've said you're going to have a go at this. When do you want me to check in with you and to see how you've gone? Mm. And two thi- that, that, that process is predicated on two things. One, trust, and two, doing it. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, so trust is, the, I mentioned it before, having that space, creating that relationship where we can do that. So if I don't know somebody, it's very hard for me to suddenly get them into a, a position necessarily where they're going to suddenly just open up and suddenly have this realization that things need to change it can happen but in an instant probably not but it, it's a bit of a slow burn it might take one two three four five conversations before people really get to where they want to get to but when they get there and when we talk through issues what i mean about that doing it is it's not for me then to judge their ideas it's not for me to then if they don't come through with what they said they'll do you know to hit them over the head with, mm. oh, you said you were going to do this. Why haven't you done this? It's about the motivation has to be theirs, right? And this is a yeah, big absolutely. part of the coaching process, yeah. which despite the fact that it may appear glaringly obvious to you as a coach what that person could, should do, yeah. unless they've derived that idea themselves, the motivation to carry through with that, particularly if they meet with um, degrees of lack of success in first attempts at it, yeah. Or if they feel they're defined by success, yeah. that's the other. That's the other one. Like lots of high performers, lots of high performers suffer this fixed mindset because they feel they're defined by their high performance. Mm. And so when somebody challenges them with a new technique or a new idea about how to perform, they'll often just close. You know, they'll they'll have a very fixed mindset about that. That's ridiculous, mate. I'm not going to. I've worked how to play the game, whether it's literally a game or whether it's a you know the corporate game or whatever. I've worked out what works leave me alone. And the problem is, of course, over time, people start playing a different game. Mm. And what that, used to work. Yeah, yeah. what used to work no longer works. Mm. And then that compounds the issue because remember, they feel that they're defined by their success. Now they're not experiencing that success yeah. and they retreat, you know, they really, that fight or flight response really kicks in. So, and it's they a, start to perceive themselves as a failure, not just in the domain, mm. but as a person. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and I think it's, you know, this idea of how do we encourage um, a growth mindset, it's it, it's not real. Uh, you know, the more I talk about this, the less I use the phrase fixed and growth mindset. I don't, because people who know about fixed mindsets understand that it's not an either or, it's not a good or bad. You, We, we have, we have, but we're both all the time, right? Um, but those people who have just read a blog post or heard about it go in with it and it comes across that fixed mindset is bad. And so people are 
labeling people with fixed mindsets and they're going wow so not only am i bad at this but now my mind's bad as well and you know it's this vortex of negativity but rather as i say just create that space go at it it's not dissimilar actually to the, the idea of resonant leadership you know going into something with curiosity and trying to develop empathy to understand well why is it because as you said before to me it's glaringly obvious that you need to do xyz and you'll be sweet but the problem is they don't see that you know, it's almost like they can't read the same alphabet, you know, so X, Y, Z, it does not equal Z. It's, you know, they're not, they're on a completely different um, system. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, there's a podcast um, for a few, few months back with Michael Bungay-Stanya that uh, is called Think Twice About Your Advice, um, because a lot of the time what we think is glaringly obvious and the advice we give, whether that's a uh, someone we work with or our partner or our kids is rarely as good as we think it is. It's interesting. You used um, the concepts there, Dan, of, of proving versus improving and that proving yourself is a fairly fragile concept and very fixed mindset sort of thinking. So I, I imagine that one of the ways that we can start aiming towards improving is to stop seeking the approval of others, mm. you know, and start thinking about things as process, as intrinsic motivation, and not be overly concerned by the approval of others. Yeah, I think um, it's. I think we outsource um, whether or not we've been successful mm. to others um, all the time, mm. and we outsource it from a very early age. You know, so you think about a school journey. You know, uh, I don't know what age kids start asking teachers if this is good or if this is right or what did I lose marks for or why is this wrong but I know it's pretty early and it's quite interesting to see that that phenomenon is something that is hard to let go of you know we often talk a lot about self-determination theory and one of those um, or two of the, the elements of that that of autonomy and mastery I think are so intertwined that we often think, again, people will hear the word autonomy and think that we're talking about uh, being able to do whatever you want. I've got complete autonomy. Mm. But really what Richard Ryan and Ed DC talk about more is this sense of volition and agency. I own what I'm doing. Mm. This So in school, for example, a student has volition over their learning. It's their learning. It's not just something they've been told to do by the teacher. You know, if they really have autonomy, they can they they can talk about their learning, and when you intertwine that with the concept of mastery, not only can they tell talk about their learning, but they can talk to you about the success, the growth that they've had, the challenges they've encountered, um, what they're most proud of. Um, you know, all those things are easier to do once they stop outsourcing their sense of accomplishment to somebody else for a sticker yeah, yeah, exactly. or a certificate or um, a mark out of 20. Yeah. And and we, it would be nice to think that that just stopped when people left school, but of course it doesn't. If they go on to uni, it's the same, they, they jump through the same hoops. Yeah. They go into the workplace, they jump through the same hoops, especially if things, if, if anyone has like performance related pay or bonus schemes, you know, they're jumping through those same hoops. And every time they jump through a hoop, the, the the sense of volition, the sense of autonomy is chipped away. Mm. And and from a and this is completely set well, not completely separate probably, but also like, you know, is 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 a birthday party successful um, only if 
we take a photo of it and it gets loads of likes, you know, and loads of approval from others going, oh my goodness, that looks amazing. Your kids are so lucky, blah, blah, blah. You know, and again, it sounds ridiculous to say that out loud, but I know full well that there are lots of people who will take down a post off social media if it doesn't hit the required amount of likes. You know, and then you so then you start thinking, wow, this is really bizarre now because now people are feeling like they need to prove themselves to their friends. Yeah, to seek that approval. To seek that <laughs> approval. And it's 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 just this in, incredible mess, yeah. if you like. I can't think of a better word at the moment, mess that we make for for ourselves. Yeah. The first thing we do when we wake up is to check our phone and we're onto that treadmill straight away. And the last thing we do before we go to bed is check our phones and we, you know, we're not letting ourselves off that treadmill until we go to sleep. Um, I think it's really, really interesting. And so much of it is intertwined with mindset, with, um, you know, our identity, with our relationships that I think if we just took a moment, put on a pair of comfy shorts and just and just chilled out for a moment you know and realized that okay well you know even even having that ritual what went well for me today we've spoken about that before you know what went well for me today and you know what I'll define my own success thanks for today yeah have I been the parent I want to be have I been the boss I want to be so we've got to take a lot of the judgment out of the language that we use particularly with our kids so if we can get to the point where we can start to acknowledge and embrace imperfections and to be our own best judges of stuff, mm. then we're far more likely... I was actually with a friend last night who's got a 13, nearly 14-year-old son and he was talking about the fact that his son has just started doing some graffiti mm. and, you know, a lot of people have their own views on graffiti but if we separate the the content for a minute... But he started doing graffiti and his dad was saying to me last night, he's so happy for his son because it's the first time he's ever seen him... D- prepared to do something and to talk about something that he's not good at yet Mm. um, in a way where he's satisfied with where he's at at the moment. And interestingly, his dad said to him, have you been taking photos of any of it? Because I'd really like to see it. And he said, no, I'm still working on it. And when when I'm really good at it, then I'll start taking photos of it. But Mm. at the moment, I'm just developing it. Mm. Wow, that's actually a really Mm. interesting concept with a real desire to improve rather than to prove himself. Yeah, and I think, as you say, you take if one if you take the the context out of it, because some people obviously, and if it was on my house and it wasn't very good, I've I given prob- him your address. Yeah, actually, thanks, just mate. To <laughs> create some art. Yeah. But but the actual yeah, but the actual uh, phenomenon, that concept, that feeling of because what we're talking about there is mastery and really mm. owning it. That's the, that's what everybody is looking for mm. in everybody else, mm. and. I think it's interesting to to say, okay, well, how do we create those conditions for people to step into that? Because it's a natural human desire to want to get better at things. Yeah. It's only when we think we're at risk by exposing, you know, being we're vulnerable when we say we need to get better. It's kind of yeah. seen as a weakness because we're actually saying we're not good enough. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and so recognizing, well, how do we create those environments, those and those companies, organizations, schools, whatever, where actually being able to say, I've made a mistake, or um, I'm not quite sure about this, yeah. or without it's not as good as I want it to be. Yeah, yet. yeah, exactly. Can you yeah. give me another week? Yeah. Oh no, mate, the deadline's now. You know, all the it's quite interesting when you think of all the systemic things that we have in place, which actually serves yeah, to work in opposition to work in opposition yeah. to the thing we say we want. Yeah. That's the killer. Mm. 
All right? No one's saying, oh, yeah, we just want to create these fixed mindsets, these compliant, these just drones. No one's saying that. I mean, maybe they do want that. I don't know, but no one's saying it. People are saying we want engaged kids. We want engaged employees. We want creativity. We want creativity, you know, innovation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, we do this. We do well-being. We do mindset. But then you look at the systemic things they have in place which serve the complete opposite purpose. Mm. That, to me, I find really, really interesting. Mm. Yeah, great chat. Really interesting mm. chat. Yeah, it was. It was an interesting chat, and it was an interesting chat because of the question. So thanks very much there uh, to Ben, uh, Anna, and Billy. Um, if you found the chat interesting, then there's a fair chance someone you know will find it interesting. So if you could share the podcast, like the podcast, um, maybe even comment on the podcast, that uh, is really helpful to us. It makes a big difference. It just means more people are able to find the podcast and tune in. So um, all that's left for me to say is say thanks, Tim, for joining us. Total pleasure. And we will see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.